But last week we did the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And as right after he gets through the Lord's Prayer, he starts talking about fasting. And fasting goes with prayer a good bit. So as I got to think about studying prayer, I got looking at, at fasting. So I found seven different places in the Bible where fasting pray, plays a big part of prayer. And so uh, I started studying on that, and, and I got up to like, I think I got 28 pages of notes uh, on, on the seven different ones. So we're going to cover the fasting aspects that goes along with prayer as we're in, the, as we're in with prayer since Jesus went into it. So go ahead tonight. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, tonight, as we talk about it, you know, uh, the the first one uh, is so close to this, and, and it's Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And I wanted to look at that because one of the biggest fast, and I'm, we're going to cover basically all of it, uh, pretty much as we go through his his temptation, because it, it helps you to understand how powerful fasting can be. And in in chapter four. Uh, the three temptations of Jesus basically is, is what it looks like. But it says when, now you got to think of this is right after Jesus' baptism. So he has been real close to the Lord and he, you know, basically he's had a spiritual high. And it says and then when Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was Afterwards, hungered. And I, I can say that's probably a mild statement be, because you think fasting's denying yourself food. Uh, there's different fasts in the Bible, and, but the biblical sense of fasting is, is denying food. So it says, you know, he, he's led by the Spirit to be tempted. And, and so you think after uh, identifying himself with sinners with baptism, Jesus identifies again, identifies with us again in his temptation. It's a, it's a necessary part of his ministry, so the Spirit leads him into the, the wilderness to be tempted. And, and you, you think about this, a remarkable contrast to the, to, to, between the glory of following Jesus' baptism to the temptation of the devil in the in the desert, you think he had been in the cool waters of the Jordan, and now he's in the barren wilderness where there's not really any water. Uh, he had been around huge crowds, and now he's been in solitude. And when the Spirit rested on him like a dove at the the baptism, now it drives him into the wilderness. It lead or because if you look, it says Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. So. He was basically pushed to the wilderness, and you know, the, first he heard the 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 you could say the the voice of the father is saying he's the beloved son. Now, what voice is he going to hear in the wilderness? The, 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 you can say the hiss of the devil is a good way to look at it. So you know, he was anointed. Now he's going to be attacked, and so now we we see that you know the baptism. Now it's temptation. So. The difference between Jesus' temptation and ours is we need temptation to kind of help us to grow. Jesus couldn't grow no more spiritually, if you think about that. But he could identify with us through this temptation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says this. says, for in that he himself has suffered temp being tempted, 
he's able to secure them that are tempted so he can identify with us because he went through the same things that we went through. Now, yes, it's well, you you got to think Jesus had to allow himself to be tempted. Uh, But when we look at it, the temptations that he's going to suffer go a long way with the the fasting that he did. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. That's a supernatural type fast. It's not the only 40-day fast recorded in the Bible. We'll see. Uh, we're going to study another one in the Old Testament. So it's not nothing that's just you know, you think, well, okay, Jesus did it because he was the son of God. It, it's, it, it's almost common in, in the Bible in a way. So, but you think about it, if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, that's a, that's a long time to do without and to be where he was. So he, it says he's, he's tempted by the devil in, in verse one. And, you, know, and you, you think about it, temptation is certainly for everyone. Yet Jesus' temptation is going to be kind of more severe. Yeah, I don't think everybody says, you know, devil maybe do it, stuff like this. I mean, you think the devil is not omnipotent, so he's not everywhere. So when we're tempted, probably it's just a, a, a demon. You know, I don't think the, the Satan goes, hey, there's Steve. I think I'm going to get him. I'm sure he's busy with somebody else a whole lot more important. A lot of times it's just an able box. Yeah. So, you know, uh, with us, I don't think it really takes much to tempt us sometimes. So here is a a very strong temptation. You know, and so, but the temptation he does, he doesn't yield. And so he he bears the the levels of temptation. And if we look at, you know, many commentators said this, they believe that it is improper to refer to this section as the temptation of Jesus because of the word prezio is more accurately translated instead of temptation, uh, where the the word they use here. Prezazine, which has a quite different element in its meaning, it means to test more than it means to tempt, but it's still the same principle. So that they look at that Greek word. Spurgeon said this, he said, Luther remarks stand true that prayer and meditation and temptation are the three best instructors of the gospel ministry. And you think about that, prayer, meditation, and temptation, because how we handle our temptation is what makes us grow. How do you handle temptation? It, it's through prayer. It's through meditating on God's word. And as Jesus had been out in the desert for 40 days fasting, in the biblical sense, while he's fasting, he's praying. So for 40 days, he's been getting ready for this. And, you know, it, it's a divine power that we see uh, Poole said this, he said, Here was the divine power miraculously seen in the upholding of human nature of Christ without anything to eat. This is a miracle. Yet it was a miracle also evident in Moses' life, in Elijah's life. It was supernatural, but not beyond human capacity when the Spirit of God enables you to. Because when we, we get into these other two, we'll see the reason they did it is because the same thing. The Spirit of God was with them. Now, uh, 
in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, it says that he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And we know that when Moses is getting the, 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 the commandments given to him. But listen to this part of the verse. A lot of things we don't think about. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So Moses went through a 40-day. And think about this. So Jesus is being tempted and, and goes through a 40-day fast. Why do you think God did that? Why do you think Jesus is doing that? One, the Jews recognized Moses as what? The ultimate. You can say almost the lawgiver. He's the one who gave them the law. And so what did Jesus say he came here to do with the law? Fulfill the law. So we see the same thing. Now, in 1 Kings 19, 8, where the second fast is, it says, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. So in Elijah, it doesn't really come out and say he fasted, but he, he ate, he prepared, and then he did without until he got to, to the Mount of, Mount of God there. So 40 days and 40 nights, like I said, that's, it's, it's a very well-known day, isn't it? What else happened in 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, the flood. So we see the flood, you know, Noah's Ark, 40 days, 40 nights. So, so here we see something that, that takes place in that. And, and, but we, we look what happens. And that he's not just self-denying for the sake of self-denial here. You know, he, he's given himself so that he would actually, Jesus is actually doing this to prove to us that you can't handle temptation. This proof is he fasts for 40 days, for now he's showing if you're ready, if you're spiritually ready when Satan comes and he, he tempts you, you can be ready. Because look at the, the first temptation when he's been out there in verse number three. When the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Now, if you hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights, wouldn't uh, uh, some bread be nice to have? And, and so here he, he's looking at Jesus and he, he's saying, okay, I know the one thing you, you probably want, it's food. You're the, you, you claim, because notice how he put it, he says, if thou be the son of God, if you are who you claim to be, you shouldn't have any problem with this. You created everything's what you claim, so make some bread. And, and so, now, uh, Matthew writes that when the tempter came, so it, it's not a question really, will we be tempted? It's more of a question of when will we be tempted? Because we see he came to Jesus, and it's the same principle for us. So this whole story kind of shows for us what God is trying to prepare, the reason this is in here for it. So we, we think we think about he he's he's in a devout frame of mind. He is ready for this, I think, but still it's a temptation. I mean, think Jesus is all man and he's all God. What's the one thing man deals with 
mostly. What's our one sin that we, we can really get to us, it seems, more than any? Ego. Ego. If you're the son of God, I mean, you ever think about the, the temptations that Jesus endured because of who he was? If you're the son of God, come down off the cross. I don't know about y'all, but if I'd have been Jesus, when I rose on the third day, you know one of the first people I'd have probably went to was? The high priest. Just knock on the door and say, hey, see you later. I mean, could you imagine the look on his face? But he didn't do that. And it's the same thing here. It, it shows us when he, when he says this. And, and I guess it, it would be kind of more better to say since you're the son of God. Because Lucifer knew who he was. There's no doubt in his, our mind that he knew. It's not like, hey, are you the son of God? But it's more like, since you're the son of God, why don't you do this? He, he, he's, he didn't question Jesus' deity. He's challenging him to prove it. So command the, the stones, and it, it's, it would be to, to use God's gift for a selfish purpose is what he's wanting them to do. So he, he's suggesting that. Carson said this, he said, the sonship of the living God, he suggests, surely means Jesus has power and right to satisfy his own needs. Because you think about who he is, what he could do. You know, this wasn't a temptation to miraculously recreate, create great riches and stuff like that, was it? Well, hey, you've been out here in the desert, let's go somewhere else. Let's go get comfortable. This is more, you know, has something to do with what the human body needs, which is provisions. One of the greatest things is to perform something that has come off the cross. Yeah. Whether it's just bread or something. You, you think, you know, he's being, this is almost like Jesus being tempted because of his strength is a good way to look at it. Now, he did answer them. And how did Jesus answer them? Yeah, so he, he answers them from the word of God. He starts quoting scripture back to them. So that proves to you, if you meditate, meditate on the word of God so you have it in your heart so when you have temptations come, you, you can battle those temptations. I, I'll, I'll never forget one time, uh, Sherman Harper uh, I love used to listen to him preach when I was little. And I remember when I was a teenager, we were all sitting in his office one Sunday. I'm not going to say why we were all sitting in his office, but he had us in his office. And he was talking to all of us. And uh, one of the girls was sitting there and he says, hey, when you go on a date, how do you protect yourself from these little heathen boys here? We're like, and so he said, I'm going to tell you the best way to do it. Do it like Jesus did with the temptations. And she's like, okay. He said, you take your Bible, you sit it between you and him, see if he'll cross over that. <laughs> and, well, he's pretty much right. <laughs> we, all three of us guys left there kind of feeling about that talk. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll never forget that. But he, he quotes 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 is what he's quoting. And, and so he says, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So, you know, he, he and here's the verse in Deuteronomy. It says, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So if you listen to that verse, he talks about the manna. And so that, that bread from heaven. So was Jesus spiritually hungry? Was this a verse, was this a temptation based solely on eating or was it more on a spiritual matter and so if you look at it it's kind of it, it's more it, it, now now some people say satan basically saying why starve yourself to death when you can make some bread bruce said this he says hunger represents humans wants and the question was whether the sonship was meant exemption from these or loyal acceptance of these as part of the Messiah's experience. So he's able to overcome the, the desire that man has for things here, for, for physical desires is a good way to look at it. You know, when, and when he says it's written, he, he's relying on the truth and the power of God's word. So he, he's willing to fight this battle, though, because you think about this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the guards came and they said they were hunting for Jesus, and he says that it was he, that's who he is, what happened to the guards? Bible tells us they physically fell down at his words. So Jesus' words were powerful enough to knock Satan down. But here instead he chose to fight this battle using God's printed word and says it is written. So he's saying this, he says, you have a tool to fight Satan. It is written. And the best way to do it is, is if you pray and you meditate and you fast and you, you give yourself to the Lord. So he's using that as a weapon. But it's kind of funny as what happens next. Once he uses that, we, we get to the, to the next part. And he says, The devil taketh him upon a, up unto the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and say, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hand they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So now he, he's tempting him, and how's he start? If you're the Son of God. So I'm going to appeal to your pride again. But he takes what Jesus used as an offensive weapon and tries to use it himself. Because what's the first thing he said here? It is written. Hey, you can use scripture, so can I. 
Now, how many of you have ever come across somebody who kind of does the same thing? How many of you ever talked to any Mormons or a church of the Latter-day Saints? Isn't it amazing? They know the Bible backwards and forwards except for the key parts. Because they twist it, just like Satan does. And, and, and there's a lot of people who twist Scripture today to get what they want. The ones who do the, the, the prosperity gospel take the, the, the Word of God and twist it to... To show what you're supposed to have, what you you know, this is what you can get, blah blah blah, and things like that. So it's it, it's kind of strange how he does it. Now, you know, you think about what the devil's done here. He he's kind of put God in a place that there's only one way to get, really get down from here. If you think about, it. he's on the pinnacle of the temple. So he's up on the very top part of the pointed roof. And, and not like when they're in, he's taking them from the desert, taking them here, and says, hey, kind of, how you going to get down? You know, it's written that the angels will take care of you. Now he's quoting Psalms 91, 11, and 12, which says, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. And they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So he's, he, Spurgeon said he's borrowing the Lord's weapon as it's written, but he did not use the sword lawfully. It was not the nature of the false fiend to quote correctly. He left out the necessary words in all thy ways. Thus he made the promise say what in truth it never suggests. He twisted the word. Isn't that how Satan works with us a lot of times, twisting things? I mean, think about this. How did he get, what did he tell Eve about the apple? You won't die. Yeah, you won't die. He, he lied, you know. He, he twists what God says. And, and so he, he's doing it, so he, he's, he's quoting it falsely because he leaves out words that's important to keep thee in all thy ways. So he's leaving out the most important thing. God never promised, you know, that, that Jesus wouldn't suffer because we knew what did he come to do? Suffer and die. To suffer and die. So, you know, and, and to us, you know, you think it's the same way. He, he's not promised us it will be everything great. But in some church, place where they, they preach the prosperity gospel, they basically tell you if you do so and so, so and so and so, so you're going to be blessed. You'll get all you want. Rub the magic lamp. Hey, you're fine. If that was true, how many of y'all be rubbing that magic lamp, doing all that that they tell you to do? So, I mean, hey, I'd love to drive a Lexus and be able to afford it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah gas for it, yeah. So when you, 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 you apply a text wrong, you see the thing. So Jesus understood his knowledge on the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, he, he makes it quick when he, he, he says it, you know, you, and very quick. Because he, he, again, he says, it is written, thou shall not tempt the Lord. Who's God? Now, notice who he said this to. You know, people want to take Satan and put him here equal with God. You ever notice that? 
Either one people either want to do it seems like one or two things. They'll either put Satan with too much power or not enough. And so here we see Jesus putting him in his place. You can't tempt your God. Satan, you might want everything, but who created you? Who who did this? You know. So it's it it, it warns us against demanding something secular for God to prove his love, if you think about this, the way he, he wrote this. He's already given his, his demonstration of great love for us on the cross. But when it says, you, you, when it's written, you should not tempt the Lord thy God, we need to realize that when we start saying, Lord, give me this. How many of you have ever got mad at God because when he answered your prayer or he did not answer your prayer. He answered your prayer, but it was maybe with a no or not this way. Or you get mad because you think, well, he's just not listening to me. How many of you ever blamed God for something? You know, so he says, don't tempt the Lord. And, and it's, it's a reminder of, of who we are when you think about it. So... Yeah. Oh, you think about something before you're a, you get saved, you don't really get tempted that much because you're going along with everything. It's once salvation comes into your life, you get tempted. And yeah, and, and so what he's showing, he says, you're going to be tempted, and you're going to be tempted to do things. You're going to be tempted with physical things. You're going to be tempted with prideful things. And, and so you think he, he said, you know, hey, Satan, God will watch over you. So you, you have that here. Bruce said this, it might be a small thing that God could, you know, that, that, that God is, it, it used such a small verse, but it's one of the most powerful verses there was. Now we get to that, that third temptation, and it's appeal to the lust of the eye when you see things that you want. So we have a physical, we have one that, that goes for our pride, and now we have one for the lust of the eye. And I think that's, in, in, in a way, it's one of the biggest ones that we tend to face. So listen to what he says. So after he says that, it says again, the devil taketh him up upon an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou will fall down and worship me. But he already had. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Now, now I, I've wondered how God, uh, how well, not God, how Satan did this. It says he took them on an exceedingly high mountain and then showed them all the kingdoms and showed them everything. So was it like, hey, we're up here. Let me show you television. And runs by, and this is this. Now, was Satan right in saying that they were his? Yes and no. Because when Adam sinned, he forfeited ownership. Because God gave him control over everything, if you remember in the garden. 
when Adam willfully sinned, Satan took charge. But he didn't own them. Huh? But he didn't own them. Yeah, he don't own them. No, he just running them. Yeah, but so it, it, it's kind of kind of hilarious when you think about it. What he he he's doing and giving this. Now you think about this. What was Satan's uh, sin? Yeah. Now now listen to this in Isaiah chapter fourteen verses thirteen and fourteen. It says this: For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So Satan's desire is to control everything. And notice how he did this. Now Isaiah, when Isaiah wrote this down, could you imagine when Satan hears this, this is it, you know. And so what does he do to Jesus? Well, of course, if Isaiah says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do the same thing to you. I'm going to take you to a mountain. Just like Isaiah said that that was me. I wanted to ascend into this mountain. And I'm going to show you everything that I'm in control of so that you're going to want it. Because it's the, the, the lust of the eye because look at what I've got. That's like you think about this. You, you drive by the real fancy, rich neighborhoods, and they got the big houses and all the cars. Who really owns those? The bank. There you go. It, it's, it's, so, you know, you think about it. These people making payments on it just like we are. Just they can afford those big payments. So it... it <laughs> yeah, some of them can't. Uh, you know, you, you'll meet people who've got this big, huge house. You go in there and they go, this itty-bitty couch. <laughs> You know, they're paying for the house. They can't afford the furniture. And so we, we, we see this. Clark said this. He says, if the worlds and all the kingdoms were to be taken in a literal sense, then this must have been a visionary representation as the highest mountain on the face of the globe could not suffice to, be, to make evident even one hemisphere of the earth. And the others must have necessarily be in the dark. So when Satan's showing them, he's showing off what he can do. It's not just the kingdoms. It's the power I control. I'm showing you all everything I can do. And if you'll just bow down, I'll give you all this too. You can do like I do. Yeah. As you think about the miracles Jesus did while he was here on the earth. What's the first miracle he did? He turned water into wine. So, I mean, nothing really he did. Now, he did bring people back from the dead. But it was nothing as miraculous and in, what's a good word for it? Hollywoodish as this is. So he, he said, I will give you. So, you know, we, we realize that Satan has authority over the world and the governments. And we can tell that now just by watching our government, you know. But the, the temptation is, is, is kind of real because it, it's a saying, I'm gonna, I'm, basically he's almost saying, I'm going to relinquish this to you. Now think about something. Why did Jesus come? To save us. 
To die, he knew he came to die on the cross. What Satan is promising here is I will give you these kingdoms. I will give you these governments that you can be over. You can influence like I do. And you don't have to go to the cross to do it. Yeah. Because I want to be like God. I want to be like the most high. The one thing I want you to do is to fall down and worship me. Then I will be like the father. We'll be equal. You'll have everything that I'm in control of. You don't have to die on the cross. Now, from the man's side of that, can you see where that would be appealing? It's that lust of the flesh. I don't have to worry. I don't have to work hard. Think about this. If you could just go and get what you wanted and didn't have to work for it, how many of you would go get what you wanted and not work for it? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's If you think about that, that's the problem with a lot of things we have going on. It's... Stopped me and she said, I think about it all the time. Yeah. Now that's where he's at right there. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's not as far fetched as you think. So, we, you know, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 and 30 is where we see that Adam willingly gave over authority of the earth to Satan. So he's offering that back. Now, you know, notice though. The one thing he doesn't really mention here that he mentioned in the other two temptations. He doesn't say anything if you're the son of God. He's not mentioning the sonship. He, he doesn't want to bring that into him because he knows that would be blasphemous. He's already gotten in trouble. You shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. Well, I'm not tempting the Lord my God. I'm tempting Jesus the man who knows what it's going to be like when you go to the cross. So, so that's what he's doing here. It's a different kind of temptation. He's going for the heart of the guy, the, the heart of the, the, the total man part of him. I'm going to make it easy on you. Now, how does Jesus respond? Yeah, I, I love how he responds. It, 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 it's like, I'm done with this. Get the hints. Basically, away with you. If you translated the words that are there, you can say, away with you. It, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. So he said, I'm not here to give in to you. I only worship my father. And as for us, that ought to be the one thing that keeps us from the lust of the eyes, the temptation where we want things. It's, Lord, it's you. It's not about the things I want. So we see that after a, 
a, a, a 40 day fast. You come in whenever you, you, you're like, okay, Lord, I want to get closer to you. And one of the greatest ways to get closer is to go through a fast in prayer time and meditation. Give up something and, and spend some time praying and get close. But when you do, Jesus shows us, be ready because Satan's going to come after you. So during your praying, during your fasting, as you're, you're maybe seeking an answer, be ready for what Satan's fixing to give you. But look at what happens right after that. In verse 11, the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So when the de devil leaves, it's basically Jesus has won. And, and so he won because he, he recognized Satan's mode of attack. If you look at history in the Bible, from here, go back to Genesis. Go back to every time Satan is involved, that we see him physically involved. And not only that, but if, if you read... First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, you know, all uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and all the historical books. You see, Satan's mode of attack does not change. He uses lies and deceit, and he uses pride as the main weapon against us. And Jesus shows us how to handle all all the main attacks that he's going to give you. So it, 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 it's a reminder of what the Bible tells us. You know, as James chapter 4 tells us, if you can resist the devil, he'll do what? He'll flee. Now, he also promises that there's no temptation known to men, that there's what? There's not a way out. But how easy is it to take the way out? It's not, you know, so it's easy to take the temptation. And so that's a reminder. So Jesus in that 40-day fasting was prepared for what happened. Now, it, it, it does tell us one thing here that Jesus doesn't resist being ministered to, does he? So the temptation of turning the, the rocks into bread, you know, so what? He was really hungry, because what's the first thing that happens when Jesus, when the, when Satan leaves? Yeah, they, they bring him something to eat. You know, so he 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 is able to overcome what Satan does. You know, the angels came, they ministered to him. God never forsakes those who go through temptation. It's us that forsake Him, and so that's always. A reminder. Now, notice something, though. The devil leaving them, and behold, the angels came and ministered to them. What was the second temptation? Remember, hey, if you, hey, the angels, if, listen to what he said, the devil take them to the high place, says, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, his, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. Well, guess what? He did. They came. But on whose terms? Yeah. So we, we see how when you, the power of fasting and prayer, God rewards. 
And, and so it, it's a wonderful thing. So what we see is, is God fulfilling what he did. We'll start on the next one. Next one, now take your Bibles and let's go to Exodus chapter 34. We talked about this one a while ago. This is, this is Moses' temptation. Not temptation. Moses' fast. Again, it's another super fast, I guess you can say. And in a way, Moses is almost in the same boat. He had been with the people, and now he's alone. But he's, he's alone. You know, the Spirit took him there, but he's alone. And he did a 40-day fast. And, and, but he, you know, he was there, did something great. Look at verse 28 is where it is. Flip over one more page. It says, And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he didn't either eat bread nor drink water. He wrote upon the tablets the words of the covenant and commandments. So while he's there, his fast, one thing different than God's, than Jesus' fast, his fast, he stayed occupied. And, and let me tell you, if you decide one day you say, I'm going to fast, it's better to have something to occupy you. If you've ever tried fasting, isn't it amazing how you become more hungry than you ever are any other time? It, it, it amazes me. There's times you can get up, you can skip breakfast, you can skip lunch, and, and you're, you know, you're not hungry all day long, but you ever decide one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. It's amazing how food just miraculously appears and you become the most hungriest human being there is. So I've always found out if I'm going to fast, I better have something planned to do to keep my mind off eating because I'm a fat boy and I like to eat. Yes, bad when the neighbors want to barbecue out. Yes. Yes. I, 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 there was, I was going through something and I was at work and... So the Lord just laid on my heart, you need to fast, you need to pray. So I said, okay, well, we have a nine o'clock break. So the nine o'clock break came out. I, I went out and I was by myself and they were cooking bacon at the cafeteria. And that smell was like all over the the whole side of the depot. And you could, everywhere I went, like I mean, I, my mouth was watering. And then at lunch, they decided, one of the guys decided to bring in barbecue for everybody. And I'm like, <laughs> and it was a, it was a rough day on fasting. And so I, I, I went out and I walked, I did everything I could to keep busy, to keep my mind off eating so that I could try to stay focused on Lord. But it's amazing how Satan wants to try to, to take you away. So if you look at here, Moses has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. But the thing different between him and Jesus is he's been in the presence of the Lord the whole time. God's been giving him laws. And he's chiseling the Ten Commandments onto the, the stone. So he's doing something. You know, he, he's commanded to write. So that's what I think helps sustain him during this fast. Because it tells us that Moses, Lord told him, he said, write these words. So, you know, he, he's writing them down. And the, these words, it's the covenant between God and Israel. So it's very something important. So he's there for 40 days. It says he neither ate bread nor drank water. Now, was he completely alone during this time? 
besides God. Besides God. Joshua's nearby. So that's another thing, another difference. Because when they come down from the mountain, remember Joshua's with him. So I've often wondered if during this 40 days of fasting, what Joshua do? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Don't worry, Moses, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I won't leave nothing out to tempt you. But also, let me go back before I forgot something. When Jesus ends his fast, where was he? He was still up on top of the mountain. There you go. Ever wonder how he got home? Angel. It don't tell us, does it? So the, angel, the, angel. the angels ministered to him, so I wonder if they carried him back to where the guys were, because he's by himself. That's one of the things I want to ask you when we get there. How'd you get home? You know, we know he can fly because he did it towards the end <laughs> when he took off up to the sky. But so he, he's, Moses is fasting for 40 days. Morgan said this. It says, it's impossible to exaggerate the suspendous things that are suggested in this simple statement. It is a powerful evidence of the truth that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. When Jesus quoted that, he was quoting what Moses did. 40 days, 40 night temptation. The only way Moses made it through it, not temptation, fasting, is the fact that he was listening to the word of God straight from the mouth of God. So when Jesus quotes that, this is what he's talking about. It's proof. That's kind of like Peter when he asked, Peter asked him to move that thorn this time. He said, My grace is sufficient. Yeah. And that's making up for everything else. So he 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 does that. So we see a 40 day a 40 day fast. Now, would I suggest anybody do a 40 day fast? No. Now you could if it wasn't food you was fasting. We'll get to that on one of the next one of the ones further along. Alright, so we see Jesus' 40-day fast and we see Moses' 40-day fast. Now let's look at one that's more down to earth. Go to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Trying to find Esther sometimes is not easy. If you find Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Proverbs, I mean, Job, Psalm, Solomon. Who was Esther? Mordecai's niece, you basically say a little Jewish girl who did good. It's an itty bitty book, so I'll give you a minute fine because I'm still digging. I found everything but Nehemiah. 
So he, he Esther is the cousin of Mordecai. Mordecai, we're going to go to chapter four is where we'll be. Uh, to start off with, Mordecai pleads with her to go before her husband because if you know the story, it's Mordecai has overheard that all of the Jews are going to be killed. And the, the law had been passed that they couldn't even fight back. Which I kind of think is a strange thing because, I mean, if you fight back, we're going to kill you. Well, if you don't fight back, what's going to happen? We're going to kill you. So, I mean, so he, 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 he's gone to go before your husband. And, but this isn't something, even though she is the queen, that a queen can do. It's not just like, oh, hey, I'm going to go talk to my honey about this. And, and so she asks, and she tells them, she says, go gather all the, the, the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat and drink for three days and three nights. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So we see that, you know, in, in, in Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Mordecai is kind of in mourning for what's going to happen. And that's not the right chat. I'm not, I'm in Ezra. No wonder that doesn't even look close to what's right. And I'm like, man, this, I look down and it said, now when the adversaries of Judah, I'm like, huh? There we go. That's more like it. When Mordecai perceived that all was done, Mordecai rent his clothes, put on sackcloth with ashes, went out in the midst of the city, and cried loud and bitter, and came for the king's gate at night and entered into the king's gate with sackcloth. In every province whatsoever the king commanded his degree came, and there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So when she asked them to do this, they all did, but you can see the extent. Now, when, when something desperately needs prayer, you can see where fasting can really help with the prayer because it puts you into the, the, the I guess you can say, the, the right spiritual frame of mind. What they were facing was death. So here we see a fast that is for a reason, you know, we got to remember that he he keeps his Mordecai. Even though we see the the intensity of, of what he is doing here, we see how strong it is because he he's tearing his clothes. Back then, you didn't tear your clothes. You didn't have but maybe one or two sets, and then to put sackcloth and ashes on that showed mourning. So he he's doing this, and and then he he as he in verse four through seven he explains the problem to Esther, and. You know, now think about this. He he kind of, he took care of Esther until she became who she was. Now she's way up here and he's gone to her and he's telling her what's going to happen. So, and so as she hears this, you know, the what Haman did, uh, the money he promised to pay, pay the king into the treasury, it was enough to, for the king not to even think of what was going on. One, he didn't really realize his bride was a Jew. 
And, and so he he's he's not really thinking about it. so now the the request is, is horrible because of everything that's happening. Now in verses eight through twelve, listen to what happens. It says, And he gave a copy of the writings of the decree that was given in Shushan to destroy them and showed it to unto Esther and declared it unto her to charge her that she could go unto the queen, king and make supplication for him and make requests before him and her people. And Haddai came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again, Esther spoke to Hatch and gave him the commandment unto Mordecai and all the king's servant and the people of the province. Do you know whatsoever a man or woman shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called? There is one law of his to put him to death except whom the king hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king for these 30 days. So Esther saying, hey, you don't understand, Mordecai. I can't just drop everything and go talk to the king. Because if you go into his presence and you ain't asked, he kills you. And evidently something must have happened to put her on the outs because it's been 30 days since he's called me. I'm his wife. You ever been so mad at somebody you didn't want to see him for 30 days? So she, she's really nervous about this because for her to go, hey, what's going to happen? If I go in, I'm going to say, I'm going to go speak to him. And I just walk in and he says, because he had a history of getting rid of queens. The one before Esther, he got mad at and got rid of her. So it's not like something just, you know, hey, there's not a precedence here. There is. Now, do you see why she asked for not only for herself to fast, but other people to pray and fast? Because what she's fixing to do is deadly. So that shows us that 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 it it. Asking people to pray and fast with you is a great thing because God answers prayers through fasting. So we see the, 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 the thing that happens. Now, in verses 13 and 14, he asks her again. And he basically says, well, do you think that you're going to get out of it? I mean, he, he says this, he says, Yet all this availeth me nothing. So as long as I see Mordecai the king sitting at the Jews' gate, he said, Does this or his wife? I'm in the wrong verse, excuse me, wrong one. Mordecai commanded, answer, commanded an answer to Esther, Think not that thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house and more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then there shall be an enlargement and a deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to this kingdom for such a time as this? So basically, here's what Mordecai says. So you're afraid to go. But I'm going to tell you basically what's going to happen. God will save his people because he always does. He sent us into captivity, but yet we were saved. But you ain't going to make it out of it. One way or the other, if you don't do what God's asking you to do, you're going to die. Not just you, but everybody that's kin to you. Because you think about it. If the king has signed a decree to kill all the Jews, 
Before long, it's going to become known that, hey, Esther, she's a Jew, and you ain't seen her in 30 days, so why not get another one? Go for wife number three. It's okay. You're king. You can do what you want. Nobody's going to say nothing. So he, he does this, so it, it's, it's down to the, the part where she gets to the thing, and she... It, it, it shows us how dark the time was. Spurgeon said this. He says, I believe in dark times God is making lamps with which to remove the gloom. Martin Luther is sitting by his father's heart in the forest when the Pope is selling his wicked tongue and indulgences. He comes out soon to stop the crowd, the crowing of the cock when Peter's denying them. John Calvin is sitting quietly in the study when false doctrine is most rife and will be heard in Geneva. The young man is here mourning. I do not know whereabouts he is, but I pray the Lord will make this to be an ordination sermon to him. Starting him on his life work, and I feel if there were if I were Samuel at Bethel seeding the seedlings of David to anoint him with the horn of oil in the name of the Lord. So Spurgeon basically said God does great works when horrible things seem to be happening. So she makes her decision, and that's when she says, has everybody pray and fast. And in verses 15 through 17, and she makes her decision to go. And you, you think about her decision, and, and Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for I barely say to you, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Remove hence from yonder, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible to you. You see how when she goes and does what God tells her to do, after praying and fasting, not just her, but everybody prayed and fasted. So she goes to the king, and he listens. And we see how it comes out. Fasting is a, a wonderful tool that can be, be, be used. And if a church will get together, you think about this though. Think about this, the power that we see here of a nation praying and fasting together. So if a church gets together and prays for things, do we not see how wonderful it can be? How powerful it can be? Now if we were to have something serious, we need to seriously pray and fast. Then you, people say, well, I can't fast because I, I, if, I, if I do without food, I'm diabetic or I got this. And so, but there are other kinds. And we're going to get to that one next week when we cover Daniel. Daniel shows us that not only is fasting about, in the biblical sense, fasting is completely giving up food and water. We see that here in these first three fasts. But with Daniel and his fasting, he does it a little bit different way. And shows us that sometimes it's just giving up something, changing something. Because he 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 basically, if you remember Daniel's story, as he starts, everybody's eating scrumptious food, and what does Daniel ask to eat? Vegetables. I'm not going to take of this. I'm going to partake of this. And sometimes that's what God wants us to do: give up something. So I urge you this week, as, as you go through things, maybe God's telling you to fast on something. Listen to them. 
and do it. But be ready because the closer you get to the Lord, the more angry the enemy gets. And it seems the more